Hello and welcome to 2021's third Fellows' Choice podcast, where we will outline the highlights of March's issue of the International Journal of Gynaecological Cancer. I'm Anna Collins from the University Hospitals of Leicester in the United Kingdom. I'm Nicolo Bizzarri from Policlinico Agostino Gemelli in Rome, Italy. Floyd and colleagues from the Baylor College of Medicine present Fertility Preservation in Women with Early Stage Gynaecologic Cancer, Optimising Oncologic and Reproductive Outcomes. This interesting review reflects on how the delay in the age of onset of childbearing is leading to an increase in the fertility sparing treatments among patients with gynaecologic cancers. In the absence of randomised clinical trials, the authors, based on observational studies, summarise the main selection criteria as well as different options for fertility sparing surgery in patients with cervical, ovarian and uterine cancer. In general, in carefully selected patients, survival outcomes do not appear to differ significantly between radical and fertility sparing approaches. In terms of pregnancy outcomes, most studies among women with gynaecologic cancers have been small series from academic centres with limited numbers of patients, finding that pregnancy rates among cancer survivors are generally lower than those of age-matched peers. In this scenario, assisted reproduction appears to be an attractive option. However, further studies are needed to better establish the effects of assisted reproductive technology on oncological outcomes, including those in women who never achieve pregnancy. Lopez Aldo, on behalf of Latin America International Gynecological Oncology Centers, presented neoadjuvant chemotherapy in pregnant patients with cervical cancer, a Latin American multicenter study. This retrospective multicenter study aimed to describe oncological and obstetrical outcomes in patients diagnosed with cervical cancer during pregnancy who had a successful delivery after neoadjuvant chemotherapy. 33 patients with FIGO stage 1b1 to 4a with a median tumor size of 4 cm underwent median of 3 cycles of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, mostly with carboplatin and paclitaxel. Clinical response to neoadjuvant chemotherapy was stable disease in 36.4%, partial response in 27.3%, complete response in 9.1%, and progression in 3% of the patients. Median gestational age at delivery was 35 weeks. Obstetrics pathology was documented in 7 patients. After a median follow-up of 16.3 months, 8 patients had recurrent disease. Of these, 13.3% died due to the disease. Authors concluded that neoadjuvant chemotherapy may be offered to patients wishing to preserve an ongoing pregnancy in order to achieve fetal maturity. Long-term consequences of chemotherapy in children are yet to be determined. Babano and colleagues performed a systematic review on fertility and oncologic outcomes in patients undergoing neoadjuvant chemotherapy before fertility sparing surgery in cervical tumours larger than 2 cm. 205 patients from 33 studies were included. Surgery after neoadjuvant chemotherapy was radical vaginal trachelectomy in 34.4%, 
abdominal trachelectomy in 27.2%, conization in 18.9% and simple trachelectomy in 14.4% of patients. Pregnancy rate was 44.8% and 82.1% of pregnancies resulted in live births. The global recurrence rate was 11.2% and the death rate was 2.4%. Authors concluded that neoadjuvant chemotherapy followed by fertility sparing surgery is a promising strategy that may allow fertility preservation in patients with cervical cancer with tumours greater than 2 cm while providing apparently acceptable oncologic outcomes. Walters and colleagues conducted a study to describe the different aspects of obstetrics and perinatal management of women with cancer and discuss fatal and neonatal effects of cancer diagnostic and treatment. Management of cancer during pregnancy, more frequently breast cancer, cervical cancer and melanoma, should be multidisciplinary because different aspects need to be considered to weigh maternal and fetal well-being. Ionizing diagnostic imaging should be minimized during pregnancy due to the teratogenicity of radiation. Surgery can be performed whenever indicated, but preferably in the second trimester to minimize the risk of spontaneous abortion. Chemotherapy must be avoided in the first trimester of pregnancy to avoid interference with organogenesis. Supportive medications such as metoclopramide and serotonin agonists may be administered during pregnancy. Use of betamethasone or dexamethasone as pre-medication is discouraged due to almost 100% placental passage to the fetus. Because of severe or lethal consequences to the fetus, pelvic irradiation should never be performed intentionally during pregnancy. Delivery in oncologic patients is usually planned in order to minimize the treatment-free interval and not to impair maternal outcomes. Placental examination in women with cancer is necessary to provide more insight into cancer treatment-induced placental effects. Vandy Kavai and colleagues present a review article describing the current clinical applications and novel developments in imaging techniques used in pregnant cancer patients. The authors summarised the current evidence regarding the safety of various diagnostic imaging modalities and described strategies to mitigate fetal risk. Cumulative fetal radiation doses should not exceed 100 mg. Maternal diagnostic workup should be equivalent to the non-pregnant patient with a multidisciplinary pre-staging discussion held to determine optimal imaging strategies sufficient to guide management decisions. Whole body diffusion weighted MRI and PET MRI has high accuracy and inter-reader agreement for assessment of primary disease, lymph node involvement and detection of distant metastases with reduced fetal exposure compared to PET CT. Finally, the authors provide specific advice on imaging strategies for suspected breast, cervical, ovarian, thyroid and gastrointestinal malignancies as well as lymphoma and melanoma. Bayoki and colleagues from Brazil presented a retrospective study on uterine transposition for gynecologic cancers. 
four patients with cervical cancer undergoing radical trachelectomy with sentinel or pelvic lymph node dissection and adjuvant radiation to set this criteria or positive lymph nodes and one patient with vaginal cancer undergoing primary radiation were included in the study. All patients underwent uterine transposition before radiotherapy. The median surgery time for uterine transposition was 90 minutes and no early complications occurred. Average time from uterine transposition to start of radiotherapy was 16 days. After radiation, the uterus along with the ovaries and the tubes were repositioned and the residual cervix was re-sutured to the vagina. After a median follow-up of 25 months, all patients were without evidence of disease. All patients who have preserved the uterus have normal menses after treatment. Jean Borg and colleagues from the Karolinska University Hospital in Sweden present a review of fertility and pregnancy outcomes in gestational trophoblastic disease. This overview goes through the current literature on fertility and pregnancy outcome after limited and extensive therapy for gestational trophoblastic disease. Owing to the high cure rate for gestational trophoblastic disease, women have a high chance of regaining their menstrual function, making pregnancy a feasible option for these patients. Obstetric outcomes appear to be similar to those of the general population. The effects of single-agent chemotherapy, multi-agent chemotherapy including high-dose chemotherapy and immunotherapy on fertility, pregnancy wish and pregnancy outcomes were evaluated and summarised. Age and extent of therapy determine if there is a risk of loss of fertility. Thus, for women refractory to standard treatment, immunotherapy is evolving as an attractive and promising option. Data on fertility sparing treatment in placental site trophoblastic tumour and epithelioid trophoblastic tumour is still scarce and this option should be offered with caution. Finally, the authors conclude that detailed registration of high-risk gestational trophoblastic neoplasia remains essential to obtain more complete data to better inform patients in the future. Daham Kaller and colleagues from Sweden presented a review on uterine transplantation for fertility preservation in patients with gynecological cancer. Hysterectomy is a recommended oncological treatment for patients with early-stage cervical and endometrial cancer and causes absolute uterine factor infertility. This review summarizes the animal research data, recipient selection criteria, the living and the deceased donor concepts as well as reported fertility and obstetrics outcomes after uterine transplantation. To date, Multiple successful live births have been demonstrated from both living and deceased donors, including one patient with previous cervical cancer. Authors concluded that uterine transplantation should still be considered as an experimental procedure. The risk of cancer recurrence and side effects of the immunosuppressions needs to be taken into account. However, uterine transplantation offers a potential for future fertility in patients with gynecologic cancer. Corrado and colleagues present a review article evaluating the reproductive potential of women with BRCA mutations or Lynch syndrome and summarise fertility preservation strategies in these patients. 
BRCA mutations have been linked with accelerated oocyte apoptosis, a reduction in primordial follicle count, and premature menopause. However, current epidemiological studies have not demonstrated a reduction in fertility or parity in BRCA carriers. The authors describe how best to evaluate ovarian function in patients with BRCA mutation and strategies for fertility preservation including oocyte or embryo cryopreservation or ovarian cryopreservation for women in whom ovarian stimulation is contraindicated. Although there is no evidence Lynch syndrome directly impacts on fertility, the authors highlight the paucity of evidence with regards to the conservative treatment of endometrial hyperplasia and cancer limited to the endometrium in Lynch carriers, as well as the lack of standardised timing for risk-reducing surgery. Finally, the authors consider ethical issues related to gametes or gonad storage in patients at risk of malignancy considering fertility preservation. Francesca Moro and colleagues from Policlinico Universitario Agostino Gemelli in Italy performed a review to summarize the main findings reported in both the literature and the international guidelines on the role of imaging in the selection of patients for fertility preservation. According to the primary site of disease, they focused on cervical cancer, endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer. Generally, ultrasound and MRI play a key role in selecting patients who might benefit from fertility preservation in cervical and endometrial cancers. Tumor size, extension to internal os, stromal invasion, parametrial invasion and presence of lymphovascular invasion and extrauterine spread are among the most important parameters when selecting patients who might benefit from fertility sparing surgery for cervical cancer. According to this review, ultrasound examination provides detailed images of the cervical tumor and tumor's distance from internal os. Moreover, with ultrasound examination, deep stromal infiltration, parametria and metastatic disease, bladder and rectal infiltration can be evaluated. In endometrial cancer, absence of myometrial and cervical invasion is required to consider fertility sparing treatment, and MRI has a high sensitivity in diagnosing in myometrial invasion. Ovarian tumors are described at ultrasound according to the International Ovarian Tumor Analysis IOTA terminology, which report the morphology aspect of the mass, cystic content, external and internal walls presence of solid component, as well as papillary projections, septa and vascularization. And that concludes our March Fellows Choice podcast. Thanks for listening and we hope to see you again in April.